We've been looking this fall and winter at uh, the first uh, Peter, and we're up today to first uh, Peter chapter four, verses one to six. That text is uh, in your bulletin and up on the screens behind me. Uh, last week we looked at the whole issue of uh, the fact that uh, because these people are followers of Christ, uh, they might end up having to suffer uh, because of that. Peter's going to ex- ex- extend that uh, today. And what's interesting about uh, this text today, we talked a lot about persecution last week, deadly persecution. The kind of persecution that's in this text today is the kind of persecution that I would venture to say almost every one of you at some time or another uh, will have experienced or will experience. And so uh, that's why it's really helpful for us uh, to look at and um, to see what he has to say this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Uh, this text is uh, printed in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, and that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Um, One of the things that was most amazing to me when uh, uh, not long after Marty and I first got married was the fact uh, that she would go through labor and want to have another kid. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How could you do that? Uh, in fact, I was just horrified by just how painful and, and um, uh, just, just how, you know, it didn't like the way they show it on, you know, like movies and stuff like that. This is, it's a mess, and it's loud, and it's intense, and you're like, ah, 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 this is, yeah. And then, you know, after, I don't know, a few days, maybe it's the sleep deprivation, I don't know, but then it's like the pain goes away and you're like, let's do it again. Really? And I can't empathize, thankfully, you know? So, um, in fact, my dad told me uh, uh, back in the 50s when I was born, you know, the, the fathers weren't allowed anywhere, any, anywhere near the, the labor and delivery room. And my dad said, you know, the, you know, are you going to be in there with her when she has a baby? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And um, he's like, you know, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I'm like, a conspiracy? He's like, yeah, really, it's a conspiracy for birth control. Because no man who loves his wife would ever put her through that. And so I'm like, holy cow, what is going on? So I went in there and I, you know, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty intense. And and I went back to him and I said, Dad, it's not a conspiracy. And he said, why? I said, because she wants more. So, um, we'll, human beings, 
will uh, experience almost any kind of pain and are willing to go through almost any kind of suffering if they have some sort of assurance that it's fruitful, right? That, that they'll have some sort of assurance that, you know, my suffering here is actually going to be redeem, redeemed or redemptive or that it's going to bring about something that's going to be positive or good, either for me or for other people. And so one of the things that happens to us is we may be very willing uh, uh, to suffer. Peter is addressing this whole issue of suffering to the, uh, this church uh, that is uh, in Turkey who is experiencing uh, a, a lot of persecution. And so he's continuing that theme today. And what he's going to say, Becky, you can go ahead and put my notes up there, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, that as, as they come to this suffering, as they deal with this, the fact is that Jesus Christ has something for them in this, and that he is with them, and that he is for them, and he will give them exactly what they need. Now, one of the things that we have to see about this is, and one of the things that's interesting is, suffering sometimes catches us off guard. One of the themes of the New Testament is, don't be surprised if you suffer, um, which, is, which is really interesting to me, right? Because, because we know that Jesus suffered, and, and yet it seems surprising to us when it comes. Well, remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, goes about preaching. He sees Jesus. He baptizes him. He says that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He believes he's the Messiah. And as a result of John the Baptist speaking truth to power, uh, challenging King Herod, he ends up in jail and he's facing certain martyrdom. And he thinks, maybe I was mistaken. Because if Jesus is really the Messiah, if Jesus of Nazareth is really the Messiah, then this shouldn't be happening to me. So he sends disciples to him to say, are you the one or should we look for another? Because this isn't working out. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't a good thing. I, I, I'm facing certain death here and yet, and yet you're supposedly the Messiah, the, the one who has come uh, to take away the sin of the world. Well, the, the fact of the matter is, what we should understand and what, what Peter wants the church and wants us to understand is, is that suffering, d- dealing with difficulty, uh, being maligned, as he's going to say later in the text, because we identify with Christ and because Christ has identified with us, should not surprise us. In fact, it should be a matter uh, of course. So what he wants us to see is that in suffering the rejection that, that the church uh, suffers and that being maligned, that is spoken poorly of, there will be an ultimate vindication and satisfaction that we, who are the ones who are looked at as losers and idiots and uh, who are not participating in all the fun activities that are listed in this text, uh, in the end, uh, we get vindicated. And we get vindicated because Jesus gets vindicated, and we get satisfied because Jesus gets satisfied. Next slide. So, so the point uh, is to give us confidence, not in missing suffering, that because we belong to Christ, we won't have to suffer, suffer. But in fact, because we belong to Christ, we can bear up under suffering and actually bear witness to the one who made atonement for us, for the one who suffered for us, for the one whose, whose vocation really was, was someone who came uh, uh, to suffer on, the, on, on behalf of us. So there are five things in this text that we need to see where Peter says you need to arm yourselves. And it's very similar language to what Paul says in Ephesians when he talks about putting on the armor of God. 
He understands that this is a difficult thing, and we know that it's a difficult thing. No, nobody likes to suffer, and it's particularly terrible when you suffer for doing what's right, when you suffer for doing the right thing, right? But he gives us five reasons uh, to arm ourselves uh, with the purpose to suffer. And the first one is, as he says in the text, that Christ suffered, right? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves at the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So Christ suffered, right? In fact, suffering was his calling. One of the things that we, we miss about uh, Jesus is the fact that he came, if we identify ourselves as his followers, and yet we think that because we, we can follow him and never experience some of the same things that he experienced, we, we, we're, we're missing out on this. Richard Wormbrand, who was a pastor in a communist Romania, spent 14 years in a Romanian prison, wrote this. He says, I have accepted this proposal. Christians are meant to have the same vocation as their king, that of cross-bearers. Some of you work in branding. And I don't mean cattle. Your job is to identify a brand and to communicate that brand. That's our brand, the cross. That because Jesus Christ died for us, because we belong to him and he belongs to us, uh, our fellowship with him is only made the greater when we suffer for him and with him uh, and on behalf of other people who belong to him. So he says that we're meant to have the same vocation as their king, that of cross-bearers. It is this conscience of a high calling and partnership with Jesus which brings gladness and tribulations, which makes Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. Um, I th I, when I first read that, I thought he's overflowing the bounds of, uh, the, the bounds of enthusiasm a little bit there, which make Christians encounter prison, inner prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. But, but the fact of the matter is, our, our fellowship with Christ, because he suffered, uh, is only deepened when we suffer uh, on behalf of the gospel, when we suffer for him, with him, Right? So secondly, suffering for Christ, for the sake of Christ, is powerful. And it's powerful because it enables us, as he says here, to make a decisive break with sin, right? He says, uh, arm yourselves with the same way of th thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, what does this mean? Well, when I identify with Christ... When I say that Jesus Christ is mine and I am his, my identity belongs to him. And so when I identify with him, I make a decisive break with other things that might identify me, right? So, so those, those things that might have been true of me before I identified with Christ are no longer true of me. What is most true of me is what Jesus says my identity is. What's most true of me is my identity uh, wrapped up in and belonging to and in union with Jesus Christ. So when I identify with Christ, I make a decisive break with other things that might identify me. So if I've answered the question, is the gospel, is Jesus, is the cross so wonderful I will suffer if need be for them 
then sin shrinks in its power over me. I mean, just think about that. You don't get sanctified by suffering, but if you say the cross is so... If you've gotten to that place where you say, belonging to Jesus Christ is is the most essential thing about me, uh, knowing the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ is, is what is most important about me. And, and following him, being identified with him in his life, death, and resurrection, if those are the things that identify me, it only makes sense that, that sin would shrink in its power over us, that it would have less and less and less and less of an effect over us, right? So thirdly, he says, how to arm ourselves in this. It's in a text that I think is, is actually is, is pretty funny. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orginess, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, one of the things that you have to, to see about this is what he's saying here is uh, for however long you sinned before, whatever you were giving yourself over to, uh, now's the time to, top, to stop. That's enough. So however much, a lot or a little, you've sinned, you've sinned enough. Stop it. It's better be to be maligned for not sinning than to be popular because you do. Let me say that again. It is better to be maligned for not sinning than to be popular because you do. Uh, one of the things that Peter wants us to understand is here is that uh, this is something that happens to us uh, uh, often. I, I run into people like this all the time, folks who grow up in the church, and, and they find themselves in, uh, in a situation, in a behavior, or doing something that they know is wrong. And they think, well, I'm just going to do it for a little while longer, and then I'll quit. After all, that's what college is for. After all, that's what starting my uh, um, career is for. You see, we read this, and that's kind of the way we think about it. But one of the things that you have to see about it is in this culture, this description here, it just sounds like all debauchery and uh, passion, sensuality, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That sounds to us like career-limiting behavior, doesn't it? Right? When in fact, in this culture, that was the way to get ahead. If you're, if you're a part of a city and, and you're a part of a guild or you're part of a union and, and your job is to participate in the, the pagan rites and the, and the, the false religions that, that the way they uh, do their religion is through parties and sensuality and, and prost- temple prostitution and all those sorts of things, all of a sudden you say, you know what, We're not, I'm not going to do that anymore because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior because I belong to him. I'm not going to do that anymore. You're not going to advance. You're, you're not going to get contracts. You're not going to get jobs. You're going to, in fact, not only are you going to be viewed as unpopular, but you're, you're actually, uh, your career choices are going to be limited. Paul goes to Ephesus, and he preaches the gospel. Ephesus was the center of the worship of the goddess Aphrodite. And we hear that, and we're like, that's so stupid. It's so stupid. Well... Let's just say your livelihood is depending on people coming to Ephesus and buying your little Aphrodite statues. And now there are people who are like, we're not going to buy Aphrodite statues anymore because we follow Christ. Well, the guys who make the Aphrodite statues don't like that. And they're going to they're punish you. 
They're going to malign you. They're not going to allow you to, to, to make it in life because uh, um, the fact is these things were the ways in which people moved ahead. So it's not just a matter of, you know, don't, 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 uh, don't get debauched. <laughs> it's, it's a matter of, listen, you're, you're, by not doing these things, you're actually identifying yourself against the culture and against the way in which you might move ahead. So, so if you find yourself in a situation where the only way you can find advancement, the only way you can find friends, the only way you can move ahead is in these kinds of behaviors, what he says is, listen, you belong to Jesus. And because Jesus belongs to you, uh, rest in that. You've done enough. Stop that. Uh, as my friend Tim Toy is wont to say, knock it off. Knock it off. Uh, he says that. Every week, knock it off. Sometimes two or three times a week. He even put it in his prayer letter. Don't get too many prayer letters that say, knock it off. But that was a good one. So, knock it off. All right? Fourthly, we don't need to defend ourselves against those who would malign us. We entrust ourselves and those who would mock us over to God's judgment and verdict. We say, he will come to judge the living and the dead. We've already said that. So, one, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that when people malign us or mock us or say we're missing out or we're stupid or something like that because we've identified ourselves with Christ and because we don't participate in these kind of behaviors and we feel like you know we're talked about and we're looked down upon and we're thought to be losers and all that kind of stuff, what he says is entrust yourself and entrust them into the God who judges justly. Entrust yourself into the one who's already been judged for you. Entrust yourself to the one who paid the price of that judgment so that when somebody else judges you in this way, you, just, you, you don't have to pay any attention to it, right? We know uh, that a day is coming where Jesus will judge either those who are hidden in the cross, those, those who have trusted him, and those who haven't. And so we can entrust ourselves fully to that, knowing that judgment day is, will be a great day for us. It'll be the day where we are vindicated and Jesus is vindicated. Then the fifth one now. Finally, he says that death is not the same for everyone. In other words, why miss all the parties of life? Uh, if in the end, we're all going to die, right? So one of the things that, that he says here, that's why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. In other words, there was a thought that, that Christians would not die before Jesus came back. That's why Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. There was a thought that um, if you trusted in Christ, you wouldn't die. But over a period of time, folks died. And so, so you could look and you could see that what would happen... Uh, and this situation would be, why be a Christian if you're going to die? Why entrust yourself to this one if you're going to die? You know, we're all going to die. And since we're all going to die, we should have as much fun and as much enjoyment of this life as we can. There's a, a, a great guy who wrote about this in some, some, pretty, some pretty profound ways. Um, he says, yes, I was bursting with a longing to be immortal, and this next sentence is, is a great sentence. I, I was too much in love with myself not to want the precious object of my love never to disappear. What a, what a, what a, great, what a, what a great sentence, right? Because I longed for eternal life, I went to bed with harlots. Hey, starting to sound like this text. And drank for nights on end. In the morning, to be sure, my mouth was filled with the bitter taste 
of the mortal state. But for hours on end, I had soared in bliss. You know what? A hangover was worth it. Right? He also said this. Um, he says, you know that even very intelligent people glory in being able to empty one bottle more than the next man. I know some of you have been in situations where you were the one who was willing to glory in emptying the bottle uh, quicker and bigger than the next guy. He says, I might ultimately have found peace and release in that happy dissipation. Uh, Paul says drunkenness is dissipation. But Camus said this was a happy dissipation. But there too, I encountered an obstacle in myself. This time it was my liver. And a fatigue so dreadful that it hasn't yet left me. (laughs) Uh, One plays at being immortal, and after a few weeks, one doesn't even know whether or not one can hang on till the next day. (laughs) Uh, Does that describe you? Some of you? Maybe? Uh, So so what he's getting at here is, you know, when we think about the issue of, well, we're all going to die, and so, since we're all going to die, it uh, doesn't mean that believing in the gospel was, was, was vain, right? They heard the gospel, they believed it, and so, but they went ahead and died anyway. And so we hear that and we think, wow, that's just a, that's just a terrible thing. It doesn't, it doesn't help, you know? So if you're going to die, eat, drink, and be married because you're going to die. We're all worm food anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, Recently, I was out at our um, cemetery, making sure our cemetery plots were okay, you know. Wow, what a bummer, right? Some of the, you know, some of the real estate we own in uh, the area is where we're going to be permanently. Well, not permanently, but for a while. Um, And I was talking to somebody about that, and they said, that's a really dumb thing to do. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I've found a service that when you die, they stick you in a barrel with some seeds and you grow into an apple tree. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, don't you think that's really cool? And I'm like, no, it's really sad. And he's like, why is that so sad? I said, because that tree is going to die too and then you'll be doubly dead. <laughs> You'll be dead twice, right? Ended that conversation. Um, but I, I, think, I think the thing that is, 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 is so profound about that is we, we read this and we see this and we think, well, what am I, what am I to make of that? Well, um, I came across this quotation from a book that's not in the Bible, but almost, That's called the Apocrypha. Now, we're a Protestant church. The Apocrypha is not authoritative, but it is beautiful. And so, uh, this is only slightly more authoritative than Camus, okay? (laughs) Uh, But it's not as authoritative as the Bible. This is from a book called The Wisdom of Solomon. And I think Peter might have had this in mind when he wrote this. But the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God and no torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and their departure was thought to be a disaster. And they're going from us to be their destruction. 
but they're at peace. For though in the sight of others they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. What a, what a, what a, great, what a great passage. Um, death is not a disaster for the one who belongs to Jesus Christ. It was not a disaster for Jesus to die for you. It crushed him. But he died redeeming you and being raised again for your justification. So those who die in Christ are alive in the spirit and will be resurrected at the last day. And all of us will be vindicated at judgment. Listen, you hear the words judgment and you think, Oh, that's, that's terrible. We sing that song about the awful judgment day. Um, actually, it should, would be better if it was an awesome judgment day because the fact is, you, if you are in Christ today, I'm going to tell you something that you, you, you need to think about. If you are in Christ today, if you have trusted him, you should eagerly anticipate judgment day because you'll be vindicated. Jesus will be vindicated. The justice of God will be vindicated. The cross will be vindicated for eternity. The same person I had the conversation with about the the barrel and the apple tree, um, I said to them, you know, if I'm wrong about the reality of Jesus, if I'm wrong about the atonement he made for my sins, if I'm wrong about the hope of the resurrection, if I'm wrong about proclaiming Jesus Christ and trusting him and, and knowing that he is Lord and Savior of my life, if I'm, if, I'm, if, if, if I'm wrong, then maybe I missed out on a few more beers. Maybe I missed out on some more parties. Maybe I missed out on some things but that's it. If you're wrong, there really is a Jesus and he really will judge based on uh, his cross. If, 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 If you're wrong about that, then there's a disaster. That's a true disaster. And so what Peter says to people who might be maligned or mocked because of their not participating in these particular types of behaviors, he says, vindication is coming. And it will be an ultimate eternal vindication where Jesus Christ declares you righteous because of his love and his work and his death and his resurrection for you. And you can rest in that knowing that ever how much you were maligned, how much you were mocked, how much you might have thought maybe you missed out, the fact is eternity with him in joy is the ultimate vindication of Jesus Christ identifying himself with you. As as we come to the table today, I want you to be reminded